You're listening to Her Path to Success, a podcast to empower women to pursue a career that aligns with their passions and core values. We encourage women to show up, take actions, and thrive in their own ways. If you're looking to get inspired and expand your mind, you are in the right place. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Her Path to Success. I am your host, Peggy Wu. Today, I have Nikki Lasher on the show. She's the co-founder of Define the Line, a company that's on a mission to eliminate workplace harassment. Define the Line makes sexual harassment training engaging through the use of story in a comic book format. Nikki is also the co-creator of their comic book training solution and trainer's guide. She's been a business owner since 2016 and has over nine years of experience working in human resources. Besides asking Nikki to share her entrepreneurial journey, I'm also having a conversation with her about sexual harassment. A little spoiler alert, sexual harassment still exists even though most people are mostly working from home due to the pandemic. This is another important topic for everyone, and I hope this episode will be helpful for you in some way. Without further ado, let me introduce you to Nikki Lasher. Hi, Nikki. Thanks for being on the show. Tell us about you. Yeah. Hi, Peggy. Thanks so much for having me. So, and hi, everyone that's listening to this. Uh, My name is Nikki Lasher, and I'm the co-founder of Define the Line. We're a company that's on a mission to eliminate workplace sexual harassment, and we developed a comic book training solution to help teams have a conversation about what sexual harassment is, and most importantly, what we can each do to help eliminate it in our workplaces. Um, I'm based in Cocoa, Florida, and the rest of my team, we're a team of three, is in Fort Collins, Colorado. And, you know, I really, I co-founded Define the Line because I was pretty upset about the sexual harassment training that I had received over the years. You know, I'm sure some of you have heard or have seen a video uh, training that's maybe a little outdated. The situations are a little cheesy and you're like, this is not relatable at all. Like what's going on in this scenario? And you kind of tune it out. And then there are the, you know, the online platforms and you click through the training sessions. And so often, you know, my friends are like, I'm taking my training, but really what it's training me to do is multitask. (laughs) So, you know, these sexual harassment trainings are intended to help us as the employee. Yet I felt like they didn't really set me up for success because early in my career, I experienced harassing behavior and I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do, and I often didn't know to report it. And so I really reflected on that time and decided to create the training that I wish I had earlier in my career. So Nikki, share with us, what did you do before you founded Define the Line? Yeah, so... You know, my career path is, I like to call it a squiggly line. I think a lot of us have similar paths, but I didn't go to college right away after high school and jumped right into the workforce. So I was 18 years old working in the retail industry and I was like a cashier, but I 
was fortunate enough to be offered leadership roles pretty on early on in my career. So from a shift lead to an assistant store manager, all of that happened within, you know, a span of maybe three years. And I had an opportunity to, um, change where I was working because I was headhunted, I guess you could say, um, from another organization. But, you know, that really set my career up for success. And I had envisioned really staying in retail long-term. And then I met my husband. <laughs> and I think when we meet, you know, it can be a husband, a best friend, a family member, it can really change your perspective. And you know, Jeffrey was in school, he was in college, and he was learning all these incredible things. And I was like, hey, I, I want to do that. So uh, I think I was around 23 or 20, 22 or 23, uh, when I decided to go to college for the first time, and was fortunate enough to be able to go to school full time. I left my job, I moved back in with my mom, so if you're in your 20s or you remember your 20s, that was a little difficult <laughs> to do, but moved in with my mom and worked as a nanny part-time. So just had a part-time job that, and I funded my way through, through community college and graduated with a, an AA degree. And I just had this opportunity. I was about to turn 25. I didn't know where my life was headed. I didn't know where I wanted my career to go. And I had always had a dream of moving to Nashville, Tennessee, because I'm a songwriter, singer, ukulele and guitar player. It's what I do. It's my, my free time. But you know, I was about to turn 25 and there was this window of opportunity to just go after that dream. And so I'm so glad that I did it. I moved to Nashville. And while I was there, obviously I had bills to pay, so I had to get a job. And I landed a part-time seasonal role. So it was temporary working for Target. So it was supposed to be just a short-term thing. And I was just going to kind of figure out life as I went. And I ended up staying with Target for five years. <laughs> so it definitely uh, changed my life path. It was about three months into that job where the HR executive pulled me into her office and she's like, we have this role that's available to you. It's in HR. Here's a little bit about what it is. Are you interested? And do you want it? And I was like, yeah, sure. Let's do this. And then I asked her what HR stood for because I didn't even know what HR was, what it represented. And so um, clearly I was very qualified for that job. Um, but very fortunate again that you know, a leader saw uh, saw something in me, saw that there was something there and that HR was a role that I would excel in. And I've been in HR ever since. So that was almost 10 years ago. Um, so a few years into that role with Target, uh, my husband decided to go back to college and where he wanted to go was in Fort Collins, Colorado. So we packed up our entire life from Nashville, moved to Colorado. And, you know, I look back on, you know, working for a larger company organization, it makes moving easier because there was opportunity for me to, to keep my job and have a position at another location. And so that's actually where I met my business partner, Tina Todd. She was my boss at Target. <laughs> so um, we worked together for years and then she left Target and got a job working for a payroll company. 
uh, ADP, and she was doing HR consulting over the phone for small business owners. And she was like, Nikki, this job, like you have to, you have to get this job. It's so incredible how much we didn't know when we were working at Target, how much of HR that there's still left for us to explore and get to know. And she's like, and the work hours are much better than working in retail. You get weekends. What are weekends? <laughs> um, and so she referred me to this open position. And I remember interviewing and being like, I am very underqualified for this job. Um, but somehow, uh, again, you know, I had Tina advocating for me in, in the position and landed that role. And I remember we went out for drinks to celebrate me getting the offer for, for the job. And Tina pulls me aside and she's like, okay, Nikki, we're gonna like absorb as much HR knowledge as we possibly can in the next couple of years. And then we're gonna leave and we're gonna do this on our own. And so for two, little over two years, I had Tina's voice in my head saying, we're gonna leave, we're gonna leave, we're gonna do it as on our own, we're gonna start a business. And we did. Uh, two years later, I told Tina, I was like, I, this is a perfect time for me. I need to finish up my college degree. I wanted to finish that college degree before I was 30. Ooh, I didn't meet that, spoiler alert. <laughs> but just right after I turned 30, I did get my bachelor's degree. And it was just an opportunity for the two of us. And we started taking classes and researching and, and talking to other business owners and I remember passing notes through the crack in the cubicle <laughs> cubicle wall that we had between us to like pass notes about the business we were going to make. And we left and did it in 2016 and started our own HR consulting firm, which is Simply HR, which helps companies that are based in Colorado. And about a year into that, that's when we came up with the, the idea for Define the Line. And... We were out for happy hour with some, some entrepreneur friends. There were some, some headlines about sexual harassment that were coming out. And it was before the Me Too movement. So it was in the summer before the Me Too movement. And I remember us having this really candid conversation about you know, the things that we had experienced in our career, things that we were just experiencing as entrepreneurs, being sometimes the only females in a room. <laughs> um, and how we still just didn't feel like we knew what to do in those situations. Like so many times it, you're just left with a blank stare on your face because you just, you don't know what to say and you don't know what to do. And so it was a perfect opportunity for us to, to look at sexual harassment training to say, this has been awful. And then we dived into the research and we're like, We've literally been giving employees the same type of training for decades and our jaw dropped and we're like, why is this still the thing that we do when we know it doesn't work? And we decided to do Define the Line and create a comic book because we wanted to refresh what was already out there. And really, once we started developing Define the Line, it became more of how do we just continue the conversation? How do we replicate what happened to us at that happy hour for teams? Because it was so therapeutic. We felt seen for the very first time. We had shared our personal stories in a very, a very just brave way. And so we wanted to replicate that. So the comic book became more of a conversation piece for teams so that we could go in and have a conversation about sexual harassment because it wasn't something that people 
had historically talked about before. Nikki, I love that you let life happen without exerting a lot of control. You hold yourself accountable to finish college. You keep an open mind with new things, such as starting a business. It sounds like your ex-boss, now your business partner, Tina, is someone you look up to and follow. You two have a synergistic relationship and are very close. What is it like to run a business with your close friend? You know, a lot of times people ask about having a business partner because a lot of people start businesses and just do it on their own. And for Tina and I, you know, friendship has been such an integral part of our relationship. So we're business partners and we definitely have conflict. We have things that we don't agree on, just like any relationship ever. Um, But we're also best friends. So at the end of the day, I care about Tina and her family and I am a part of her family Um, and she's a part of my family. Um, She's actually planning a trip to come see me in Florida soon. So, you know, she comes out and I go and visit her, but I think that's so important when you're looking at just your journey in general is having that sense of community. So not just your business partner, but your family, your friends that are supporting you through that process because starting a business is a lot of work. (laughs) So Nikki, tell us when you run your business, what are the challenges? Yeah. Oh, wow. Challenges. I mean, I think there are two that that stick up. So one that's personal is just imposter syndrome. I mean, that negative self-talk, the the thing, you know, the voice in your head that's telling you that you're not good enough, you are not doing what you need to do. Why don't you just get a full-time job? Because financially it's hard up front, right? We have to build our client base. We have to get our proposals out. That takes a lot of upfront work. And so a lot of that imposter syndrome for me is centered around, you know not feeling like I should be on this path. But then the other little voice in Nikki's head goes, you're doing awesome. Like keep going. And so that's been a challenge and navigating that. And then I think secondly, and especially for women owned businesses is the financial piece, the, the getting capital. Um, if you go that route, getting a, even a business loan, you know, we have bootstrapped. So for the most part, we started our company and we both put in, uh, I think collectively it's all, it's 10 grand. That's how we started our business. And we decided that we didn't want to get a loan. We didn't want to go for capital funding. It was something that we just decided that that's what we wanted to do. And, you know, later down the road, we decided to do Define the Line. And that project was going to be pretty expensive. And we did not have the budget for it. We were barely making ends meet, barely paying ourselves anything, but we ha- we wanted to do this really badly. So we decided to do a crowdfunding campaign. Um, and thankfully, our community really backed us up and helped us raise the funds to create Define the Line. And then later down the road, we were like, oh, well, maybe we should look into capital. Like maybe we should get funding from other sources if we're like this awesome. (laughs) And we decided to take a few classes on it, uh, was in a pitch competition. And that was really eye-opening. You know, in the pitch competition, it felt very much like we don't really get it. We don't get why you're doing what you're doing or why it's even important, even though we had just spent you know, 20 minutes telling them exactly why it was important. Um, 
And just feeling that as a barrier, I know a lot of other women deal with that too. When we're working on women's issues specifically too, where we have a product that's, you know, for women, when we are going to venture capitalists that are primarily men, it's hard. It's just difficult to show our value and we have to work twice as hard. So that has been just a challenge that's ongoing, I think, for a lot of female entrepreneurs. So what about the most rewarding part of this journey? Oh my gosh. There's so many, uh, to pick one, ugh, that's a really hard question. Oh my gosh, I'm feeling stumped. No, you know, uh, honestly, you know, thinking about just business ownership in general and being a woman, I think the most impactful thing has been the other women that I've gotten an opportunity to get to know. You know, oftentimes you think about working at an organization, you know your colleagues really well. Well, when you're a business owner, you don't have any colleagues. You look around and you're like, I'm doing this whole thing by myself. And you have to, you don't know, really be proactive about building that community. But women entrepreneurs are just, I don't know if I can say this, but they're just badass. Like, so like I am constantly blown away by what other women are doing and just to be a part of their story, to have that community, to brainstorm something with them, to build just a friendship that is different because we're going through the same thing together. And so we understand it better than anybody else would. And I think that's my favorite part of being a part of a small business is just being able to connect with other people that are going through the same thing as me. Nikki, I want to ask about the work you do. So tell me, what's the most common workplace harassment you've seen or heard? Yeah, I mean, this is a great question because in our training sessions, we live poll the individuals that are a part of it to see what have they experienced at their workplace. So here we are doing an anonymous poll and get to take a look at what are some things that are coming up where you're working right now while we're doing this training that your workplace just paid to do. And, you know, obviously, or not obviously, I shouldn't say that, but the most common that we see is what I like to call on the, the lower end of the spectrum. So it's the jokes, comments, questions. It's the things that happen that were like, was that inappropriate or not? We oftentimes will think, well, am I just being too oversensitive, et cetera? Um, those are the most common things that we see as far as when we do this poll. Most people are like, yep, I've heard a joke before. That's really inappropriate. And then during this pandemic, it has shifted just slightly. We were already seeing a spike in online harassment, but we've seen that increase. So, you know, online harassment can be something that's happening in like an IM system. So Slack or Skype or Microsoft Teams, wherever you're communicating with your team. So we're seeing harassing behavior, things that are inappropriate happening in those either small groups. So we know that teams are making these small, like little friendly groups because that, and that's totally fine. We don't want to snuff that, but we are seeing some inappropriate things happening there. And then we now have, you know, a lot of people are still remote working. So the work-life balance or work-life separation, if you will, doesn't exist anymore. We are in our homes, we are working. And so that makes it feel like maybe we're more connected almost because you get to see the, my background or you get to see the people that I live with and walking in my, in my screen. 
And we're starting to see this shift of harassing behavior on social media. So now that we are, you know, we're in this remote work, we are all on, a lot of us are still online primarily. A lot of people are experiencing, you know, inappropriate comments on their pictures on social media, messaging on social media. So that's, this is a really gray area too, because maybe you're not clocked in, you know, when this message comes through at 1 a.m., but this is a person that you work with. And so these are becoming more and more common um, as the pandemic continues. We're actually seeing this increase over time as well, because um, we're not really sure what the reason is, but there's a lot of increase in a lot of different areas. It's not always easy to speak up when you feel you fell victim to harassment, especially people feel that if they talk about it, then it's going to make them a victim in reality. It's like, if I don't talk about it, then it never happened. We're basically in denial. So what would you say about that? What would you, how would you encourage people to speak up? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely love this question. This is like... (laughs) the dream question for me, because there, there are so many layers to this. And I think the first, and you really hit on this is like, we try to avoid it, right? Because we don't want to be the victim of harassment. We're not a victim. We're just a person that's showing up to work and this thing is happening. That's really bad and negative. Um, But I think it's important for us to remember or to, you know, not remember, but to know the reasons why we don't speak up. And so oftentimes this can look like confusion. We don't know that it, you know, air quotes counts as sexual harassment. So there's some confusion as far as what should we even do about it? Because, well, should we speak up? Because maybe it's not actually something that I should feel badly about. Um, We downplay it. So, you know, that's just the way that this person is. So this is how they interact with everybody. So I'm downplaying my emotions with this because, well, they just talk like that to everybody. Or, you know, sometimes we'll see that it's on teams or in an organization that this is just the way that it is. So we downplay how it affects us. And we definitely see this in certain industries like restaurants, um, manufacturing, workplaces that are swayed one gender or the other. So um, that can even be male to female, female to male, doesn't matter. But we see these these these, um, traits kind of come out that we're downplaying the situation because it's just the way that it is. And so we we should just deal with it. And there's a lot of self-blame. You know, I experienced harassment from a supervisor. Um, I was in an interview for assistant store manager. He was the district store manager. And we went through all the questions and he basically was going to have to sign off that I would get this promotion. And at the end of it, He put his hand on my knee and he asked, my final question for you is, what would you say if I asked you out on a date? I mean, you think about like, what's, I don't know what came out of my mouth. I think I have blocked out like the, whatever (laughs) rambled out. I think I probably stumbled and said I had a boyfriend, et cetera, some sort of excuse to be like, it would be a no uh, with a question mark because I still want this promotion, but I'm not sure if I should say no. Um, But then afterwards I had a lot of self-blame because I thought maybe I had done something. Maybe I was flirting with him or I was being too, too, 
friendly. So that was construed as maybe I was interested as, instead of just me being a nice person who likes to have conversations and laugh with people. So there was a lot of self-blame. And then, you know, a really the number one fear um, or number one reason <laughs> that we might not speak up is for fear fear that we will be looked at as other than. So if we're the only person that's speaking up, then we're outside of the group. Um, we're, fe we're fearful that if we say anything, it'll happen again and maybe it'll even get worse. So this person will make things worse or they'll just keep coming at us. Or, you know, the fear of retaliation. So I'm gonna lose my job. I'm gonna lose this promotion. I'll lose this raise. I'll lose this tip, whatever that looks like. Um, so I think it's understanding that there are so many reasons why we don't speak up in the first place. And then when we look at how, how to speak up, well, then we've identified that these might be things that we're doing internally. So then the next part is to practice, to practice, practice, practice. Um, I will sometimes stand in the mirror and just practice what I would say. I go through different scenarios of like, okay, somebody said this and I was in the area. This is how I would interact because I'm not a confrontational person. It does not come to me naturally, so I have to practice. And um, another thing that we talk about in our training sessions is picking a go-to phrase. So it's a one word, a couple words, something that you can use in a lot of different situations. So for example, you might say, seriously, with the right tone of voice, you are indicating, and you've just said one word, with that one word, you're indicating that you don't think what they said is appropriate or, uh, or, or and you might have something to say about it. <laughs> so it gives the, a break in the conversation of what's going on to say, let's have a conversation. And I've just told you and gave you feedback that I don't like what you're saying. And I think it's really important when we're looking at speaking up to know that we have other resources we have colleagues and friends, we have HR departments and managers. And I know that's not true for everybody in every situation, but knowing your resources can really help you to speak up because if you don't know what to do, those are people and different opportunities for you to get insight into how to handle a situation. Thank you for sharing your personal encounter with sexual harassment. You know, I also had an unpleasant experience similar to yours, where one of the top executives at the company I used to work at sat next to me doing a work event, and he told a joke to a table of colleagues. Then he put his hand on my lap briefly after. This came out of nowhere. I don't work directly with this person, and I know for sure that I wasn't over-friendly. I did not smile too much or act inappropriately in any way. I am very certain that I did not give any wrong signal. Still, he put his hand on my lap. I was beyond shocked. I froze, and I didn't know what to do. I felt so embarrassed, and I didn't speak up. I felt ashamed to even tell anyone. I don't know why I felt that way. So I can imagine that a lot of women or men let things go, even though they know that they should have spoken up. So my question is, what would be your advice for people who feel embarrassed or ashamed that they didn't speak up? Yeah. Oh, I, well, one, Peggy, thank you so much for sharing your story with me. And I think you really hit it. You know, after moments when we don't speak up, we can often feel embarrassed or ashamed. And 
you know, actually this happened to me just a couple of months ago. I was at a family gathering and an extended family member said a really inappropriate comment to me in front of my entire extended family. And I didn't say anything. And I literally should know like a million sayings or phrases because I get to hear what other people would say. And I was just speechless. And afterwards I was feeling like super shamed. I mean, I, I call it the shame monster. She's ferocious and she doesn't, she is not nice to Nikki when she comes out. And I was like, how, why did I do this? Like I felt oh, just awful. And I think that there are some really important things to know is that this happens to everyone. It can happen to me. It can happen to you, Peggy. It can happen to anyone. We can go through these situations where we're like, oh, I wish I had said something, but it happens to everyone. And unfortunately, it'll probably happen again. And that's okay. And so for me, you know, even through the pandemic, I have been just journaling like a crazy person. I mean, pins are flying left and right. <laughs> um, and journaling has really been an outlet to just reflect on everything. So for this particular moment, I knew I needed to do, to do that. So I went to the Google and I put in like how to basically go through something that went, something that happened to you with some journaling prompts. And so for me, that meant let's reflect on what happened in detail. Who was there? How did they react? What was said? What did I do? And then really it's important to journal about the emotions that come up too. So what did I feel? I felt angry. I felt sad and disappointment from my other family members um, because a lot of them didn't say anything. One did, thank, thankfully for me. But I needed to just say that those feelings were valid and that's okay that I felt them. And I needed to also process through the feelings I was feeling now. So I was feeling embarrassed and shamed and I felt nervous about seeing this person again. So I had to process through those. And then, you know, for me, it's also writing down some positive affirmations about myself. So like this event doesn't define who I am. This doesn't mean that the next time it happens, I won't speak up. And if I do, that's okay, because everything is a learning opportunity. All of these are learning opportunities. And I also like to journal about what I wish I would have said. And this is when whoo, Nikki gets to <laughs> write out some really choice words, four letter words on what I would have said <laughs> to this individual, which I would never say out loud, but it's what I needed to just get out that anger, write it down, say, this is how I would have handled the situation if I was really angry still. Then reflect and say, this is actually probably what I would say and what I would want to say in this situation, but it gives me an opportunity to write it all out and release it. And I, if I have to come back to it, I come back to it. And if I don't, then I don't, I've released it and I let it, I let it be there, but I don't want to feel that shame long-term. So I'm hearing practicing self-compassion is the key here. That's wonderful. And I love it. So to conclude today's conversation, my last question for you is, what's your definition of success? Oh, I love this question. You know, honestly, for me, it's creating positive change for somebody. Um, if even one person goes 
through my training and comes out the other end, a better person, somebody who feels empowered to speak up, who then speaks up the next time something happens, or even has a thought like, Ooh, I should have said something because that means that they're, they're learning from what I've provided to them. And they're feeling empowered to say something, to mirror what we talk about. And that to me is the definition of success. Nikki Lasher, the co-founder of Define the Line. I want to mention that the Define the Line comic book training solution was built with small and large business in mind. The comic book is a digital download that you can use in your organization to spark a conversation with your team about what sexual harassment is and how to speak up for yourself and others to make a positive change. According to Nikki, sexual harassment did not stop because of the pandemic. Instead of experiencing it in person, it's now occurring across social media and messaging platforms. Here are some important points from Nikki, and I want to share them with you again. Reasons why we don't speak up about sexual harassment. Number one, confusion. You don't know if what you experienced counts as harassing behavior. Number two, downplay. We tell ourselves that that's just the way the person is. So we're trying to just let it go and justify the situation. Number three, self-blame. We tend to think that we did something to provoke or bring this on to ourselves. Number four, fear. Maybe it will happen again. Maybe it could get worse or we might lose our job, promotion, race if we said something. So how do we speak up? Practice what we will say if harassment happens. Pick a go-to phrase and use it in the situation. Also know your resources, HR, manager, coworkers, hotline. Remember to ask for support. For those of us regretting not speaking up or feeling ashamed that we fell victim to sexual harassment, please know that it could happen to anyone. You are not alone. Time will help heal, but please process what happened to you. Write out the scenario and include as many details as you possibly can. Reflect on how it made you feel in the moment and afterward. Jot down what you learned from the situation and how you wish you would have responded. Write down positive affirmations about yourself. Nikki shared a lovely one. That is, this event does not define me. Another one I personally like. I release all blame and I release all guilt. I forgive myself for not knowing better at the time. I want to thank Nikki again for the great conversation and learning experience. If you want to connect with Nikki, check out her website, definethelinecomic.com. She's also on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and LinkedIn. I will leave all the info in the show notes. Sexual harassment in the workplace is closely related to our careers. 
the unpleasant incident adds stress and some experience retaliation because they've chosen to speak up. Today's episode feels personal. I wasn't able to talk about my personal encounter with sexual harassment for the longest time because I felt ashamed. This is a serious topic that requires a serious conversation in every workplace. The outdated sexual harassment training is not enough. Fortunately, more awareness is now on this subject. Unfortunately, it still exists and it's taking a lot of effort to get attention on this matter. If this has happened to you, don't go through it alone. Get support. Remember that your story matters. Sharing your story with others is a way to start a healing process and feel empowered. If you enjoyed today's episode or this show, please help me spread the word and subscribe and follow. Also connect with me on Instagram or Facebook and let me know what you think of the episode. Once again, I'll leave all the info in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Her Path to Success is here to remind you, define success your way, not based on what someone else is doing or what others expect of you. Remember that you are worthy and you have what it takes to succeed. Thank you.